1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going from verse 3. We're only going to land on verse 6, okay? But I want to give you the flavor in which verse 6 is set into. Verse 6 is kind of like a diamond on a crown, okay? It's that little bit of wonderfulness in, in, a, in a crown of gold surrounding it. So here we go, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. Are you with me? Am I on? Okay, there we go. If anyone teaches otherwise and uh, does not agree uh, to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they are conceited. Okay, there's Paul again, all right? And they're conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So Paul is talking here to Timothy and he's saying, look, look watch out for false teachers, okay? And he breaks down the, the elements of a false teacher, conceited, quarrelsome, get in your face, annoying basically. Is that, is that okay? And then he goes on verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? That's a great verse. It really is. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then a familiar verse to some of you, for the love of money, not money, but the love of money is our root, not their root, it is our root of all kinds of evil. Okay, some people eager for money, they've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I love this next section, okay? But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, I love this, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything. Isn't that beautiful? God who gives life to everything. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pilate, made the good confession I charge you, Timothy, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And then this, okay, Paul just loves the doxologies. God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and everybody said Amen. don't you love the word don't you it's just like that's five star isn't it that's that's medium to rare right there it's just it's fabulous okay anyway let's get on so imagine well don't imagine I can do it I can stand here so you don't have to imagine okay so imagine I've just been born okay now that's going to take a all right so let's scale back 50 years I've just been born and in my hand I have nothing <laughs> 
okay? Because Paul says, you have nothing when you arrive on planet Earth, okay? All right, so then I'm born, and then I grew up a little bit, and and I begin to go to university, or I grew up, and whatever, I gather stuff and toys and whatever, and you get a bit older, sort of late teens, and you have nice toys, okay? And you have nice toys in, in in your luggage of life. And in here, maybe I would have some clothes, maybe I have some gym membership, not so much as you know, and maybe there would be a FIFA game along with a PlayStation 5, maybe there would be books and stuff, just whatever at that age, all right? And then what happens is that I, I, I maybe get a permanent job, and then I get a car. Yeah, remember, who remembers the first car? Remember my first car, say out the Betha. Pray for me. Okay. And you get a first car and you get a nice job, a permanent job, and you think, well, I'll maybe rent a house. Better still, I'll buy a house. I'll buy a first house. Fantastic. Then you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, whatever you want. And, uh, and then you, you start going out and you date a little bit and she or he is expensive. Doesn't matter because whatever moves the heart moves the wallet. Okay. That's how it goes. And so it's all wonderful. And then one day she says, I do, I will, let's make it forever. And so then you get married and then you have that to pay for. And then you have bigger toys. You want another house because the one you bought was kind of mannish and she don't like it. So we're gonna buy another house and then you breed. (laughs) And then you breed, okay? Then you have kids, okay? And so now you need a bigger house, another house, another mortgage. And because then you didn't do it properly and you had multiples, Hmm? Okay, you need another car just for them, okay? And so you need a car for her and a car for them. And then you need another car. And then you thought, well, you know what? I'm having all of these kids. I'm working so very hard. We need, we deserve, deserve a luxury two-week holiday every single year. So we're going to go off. We'll put that on the card. Doesn't matter. We need the break. We do. We're exhausted. And so we have that going on. We have all the cars. We've got the house. But then our kids, they start to grow older. And what you find with kids' toys when you get older, they get smaller, but they get more expensive, okay? See, for all you people that have got young kids and the big toys, cheap, it's coming. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Okay, it's coming. And so they have a tablet and an iPhone and a laptop each each and then they friends okay they friends and the problem with their friends is that their parents are richer than their parents okay and so we got to keep up we got to keep up with the labels and the stuff and whatever but because we're raising kids we're working hard and it's a busy life we still deserve another luxury two-week holiday okay we're still paying for the first one but we'll go on another one next year whack it on the card it'll be grand and so on we go and then we get over here and suddenly we're in a <laughs> we're in a much bigger bag, everybody. And in this luggage is all of the stuff and all of the pressure and all of the Klarna and all of the clear pay and all of the loans and all of the credit union and all of the mortgage and all of the stuff. In here we have the receipts from the big three, the AAA, Amazon, ASOS and Aldi. They're all in here. They're all wrapped up in this suitcase. And all of a sudden, you're trying to walk through life. And over here, that wasn't so bad. You could kind of take this with you as you go. But suddenly, now we're here in the middle of our life. And we're like, okay, I'm going to see if this works. And we're trying to pull this thing behind us all the way through life. And then it happens. God calls you home. 
And what is in your hands? Sound familiar? Look at your life. The luggage of your possessions. The possessions of your pilgrimage. That's it. And it's a ball of financial pressure and financial worry and strife and stuff. And we have to come to a place sooner or later. And I, I mean, I've got to tell you, I'm speaking to me. We got to come to a place to wonder, is there another way to live? Is there another way in the pilgrimage? Is there another way that we go through life? Not that we are devoid of stuff, everybody. Listen to me here. I want to be really clear. Being a follower of Jesus is not uh, having to take a vow of desolation, poverty, or isolation. There's nothing wrong with acquiring or getting stuff. Verse 17 actually in our text talks about God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What an incredible verse. But listen to me here. Where God does have an issue, God has an issue with your freedom. And isn't it wonderful the songs we're singing today are breakthrough and freedom and they have that, have that tone to them. And here's the thing I want to leave you with today. Your possessions are meant to serve you, not enslave you. Amen. They're meant to serve the call of God in your life. We don't own anything. We don't own a thing. Your house is God's house. Your car is God's car. Your PS5 is God's PS5. That's how it works. We are stewards. We own nothing. And because of that, our possessions get to serve us, not to, not to enslave us. God wants you to be free. And free from anything, and in brackets, anyone, by the way, who inhibits freedom. But in the context of our conversation today, we're going to kill materialism. We're going to knock that God off its idol. Covetedness. Oh, looking at everybody else. Look at me, Rob. Oh, it's my color too. It's my color. I've always wanted that car. Look at their holiday pictures. You're sitting in the caravan in Bondoran. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, the rain lashing. You know what I'm saying to you? They're on the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> it's like, oh, have fun. <laughs> You're crying in your dinner. Anyway, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and find a way through this, okay, in stewarding a couple of things. And then we're going to get free. We're just, we're not going to, we are free. But we're going to live up into that freedom, amen? So let's steward a couple of things. First thing is this, steward your personhood. Okay, I want us to learn to steward our personhood. I'm going to give you a little sort of insight into my life before Jesus, okay, in this little sentence, okay. Before I was a Christian, okay, when it came to money, everybody, listen to me here, I was a payday prince and a next day pauper. I got paid one day, blew it all the next, broke for a month. Anyone? But I got to tell you, in Jesus, I became an everyday priest. Amen. I went from being a payday prince and a next day pauper in Jesus to being an everyday priest. And I want to tell you that little change in identity changes everything. I discovered that I did not have primarily a financial crisis. I discovered I had a crisis of identity. That was it. You see, oftentimes out of a faulty filter, 
of like a misplaced identity, okay, we can feel the desire, okay, the pressure, okay, and the financial pressure, there's nothing really like it, but a financial pressure to make decisions, okay, that in the cold light of day, devoid of anyone else in your life, would actually make no sense. Has anyone ever bought something in the thrill of the moment? You brought it home, and you looked at yourself, and you thought, what did I buy that for? If you didn't tell yourself, your wife will tell you when she gets home. What did you buy that for? <laughs> yes, hello? I'm telling you, it makes no sense. Sometimes we can identify as a certain social class. I'm not where I used to be. <laughs> okay, a certain social class. We can identify with a certain job. You've got a cracking job, and everybody else in your office lives in a certain way. And well, if that's if this job equals that lifestyle, well, I gotta raise the game. I gotta I gotta do that. Maybe you want to identify as rich and successful as and prosperous. Because well, that's who I want people to think that I am or to see that I am. Maybe some of us we identify with other members of our family. There's always the one cousin that's done really, really well well. Hasn't there? So annoying. You only ever see him at Christmas or at funerals or at weddings. He's in Dolce Gabbana. You're in pennies. And you're like, ah. Do you know what I'm saying? He's like, Ugh. Do you want to kind of raise the game up to those guys? And you're comparing your, I've got a cousin right now. He's, in a, he's a lawyer. And I was talking to a moment last night and she was giving me an update about him. And he's in Dubai. He's in Dubai working for Pricewaterhouse. Dubai is. And mom said, like, he's making an eye-watering amount of money. And I go, is he? Very good. We'll pray for him. But he's working seven days a week. I'm good. I'm good. You know what I mean? Hope he's exhausted in the heat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Nothing better than me. Anyway, there we go. Anyway, we're trying to compare our lives and our home and our style and all of our stuff. And even if sometimes we can identify with like, like, a, a, something, like a feeling of something is missing even in our lives. And... You know, all of these things are, are, are identifications and identities that we're, called, we're not called to be. And we find ourselves then in this status of payday prince or a payday princess. And the next day we are paupers. But I want to encourage you, Christ has set you free. You are an everyday priest. That is who you are. Again, a verse that's so familiar to some of you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people. And that's enough. But he goes on. You are a royal priesthood. Well, two for two. That's good. You can stop now, but no, no, I'm going on. He says, not only that, you're a holy nation. And then, best of all, you are God's special possession. Isn't that awesome? God goes around collecting Christians. He's building up a collection of believers all across the world for all of time. God's special possession. God can't walk past the person without dying for them. I gotta have him, gotta have her. God's special possession. You are chosen, royal, priestly, holy and special. And all because of Jesus and all because of what he says and what he has done. And this is who you are. And then out of that sense of identity, Peter goes on in this verse to tell us what we are to do out of who we are. He says, we are to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's what we're to do. That is our purpose. And what's 
my call. Here it is. We are to declare the praises of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. That's a wonderful thing. You've already moved. You've changed. And open arms, I want to remind us, your walk is greater than your wallet. Your purpose is bigger than your paycheck. Your calling is greater than your cash flow. Why? Because in Jesus, I'm an everyday priest. You see, when you know who you are, you know how to live. Amen? The problem is we don't know who we are, and so we're trying to be someone else. But when you know who Jesus says you are, you know how to live. You begin then to finally the penny drop. My worth, actually, as a person, it's not in my wallet. My worth as a person, it's not in my house, it's not in my address, it's not in my car. Listen to me, have the nice car, have a fantastic house. But if you need it to make yourself feel good, it's got you. You haven't got it. Amen. You are not your labels. Pennies are Prada. It doesn't matter. When I look at the label on the back of your coat, you know what it says? It says chosen. When I check your passport for your address, you know what it says? It says palace. Why would it say palace? Because you're royal. And royalty live in palaces. Oh, but you could see my house. The way I left it to come to church. It's still a palace. And it's not your church. It's not your house. In God's eyes, it's a palace because you're royal. The key role, if I was to read your job description, is priest, holy, and special. That's who you are. And so for me then, the first step in financial freedom is embracing. It's not like working a 12-step plan, and that's helpful, and we're going to get there. But the first fundamental, deep-down step is embracing the identity of who God says you are. And to end your identity crisis, and this is, the, as I say, the first step to financial stewardship. Now, look at verse 11. Paul says to Timothy, but you, and I love this, man of God. What's Paul doing? He's exactly this. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to go through life. You're going to, have to be content with big stuff and wee stuff. You're going to get rich. You're going to have seasons of lack, whatever it is. But the reality is, here's what I want you to know. You, man of God. That's who you are. What is Paul doing? He is prioritizing Timothy's personhood. He's reminding him that above anything else, he is a man of God. So I want to encourage you today, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, fundamentally, you are not your label, you are not your address, you are not your car, you are not the pressure you feel, you are not the whatever, you are a man or you are a woman of God in Jesus' name. Amen? The second thing is this, we want to look at this, is to steward our priorities. Now, we need to go to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read a few verses, but five or so verses, a quick story of the rich young ruler. Anyone familiar with the story of the rich young ruler? Okay, and so let's go from verse 18 of Luke 18, and it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. I love that. Good is not, a, good is not a, a thing or an activity. Good is a person. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, Jesus goes on, and you shall not murder, not steal, give false testimony, honor your father and mother. Verse 21 then, he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, 
sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. <gasps> when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Rich young ruler had, young ruler had everything in the world except eternal life. What a line. And he comes to Jesus to discover how to get it. And i got to be honest, that's a phenomenal start. So we've got to give him credit. He comes to Jesus to discover how to get it. But once he discovers what it takes, he walks away. And here's why. It's because the promise of spiritual gain is overshadowed by the pain of material loss. The promise of spiritual gain is overshadowed by the pain of material loss. If our first point, everybody, dealt with identity, this point deals with security. The young man found security in his wealth, in his position, in his prestige, and he had it at quite a young age, which is pretty epic. And I'm going to say this, he also took some security in his religion. Well, how do you know? Well, verse 21, I kept all these things since I was a boy. He was putting faith in all his religious activities. But how many people know religion will not save you? Religion will not give you eternal life. Religion will keep you on the hamster wheel, never quite knowing if it is enough to please God. Jesus, however, he cuts straight to the core. And in effect, he says this open arms. He says, I need you, young man, and all men to sever your trust in those things and put your trust in me, security in this life and the next is found in me. And this is a profound challenge to all of us. And sooner or later, every follower of Jesus comes to this junction, comes to this moment. It might even be your Moment And this junction, when you arrive at it, has a big sign. And on the sign, it says this. Who is the source of my security? Is it my stuff or is it my Savior? Oh. Who's it going to be? It'll be five years. When was it? 28th maybe of January 2018, almost five years, okay, that Judith and I handed over Cornerstone. And so we had, it was a God idea, and it clear, we left. We handed the church over, ton of money, new building, new leadership team, wrote sermons for six months. We handed the whole thing over. Away you go. It's the best I could do. I grieved for 12 months. I didn't know what grief was. I got to about October and I thought, I know what this is. Finally, I thank goodness. Because nothing, no one had died, nothing had happened. But when you're part of something, there's grief there when you leave it or it leaves you. Either way, it doesn't matter. But one of the big discoveries that I made, Open Arms, was understanding how deeply the role of pastor was woven around my sense of security and identity for that matter. And for 12 months, easy, I, you wouldn't have known it because I'm man and nothing's the matter ever. 
how are you? Doing well. But all inside, it was like viewing my life through someone else's eyes. I couldn't recognize places. I, I knew where I was. Don't, I didn't lose all cognizance. But nothing felt like it was me. Nothing felt like I, nothing felt safe. Nothing felt secure. And I began to wonder, would people still regard me as a pastor? I remember going to the movement conference a few weeks later, and I wasn't preaching at it. And I kind of thought, why am I not preaching at it? Is it because? And of course, it had nothing to do with it. And all the sympathy of people coming around you and whatever, it just didn't feel real. I began to wonder, will people still like me? I began to wonder, will people still want to listen to me? I'm still wondering. I'm beginning to, I thought, will anybody want me to come to their church? Just do whatever. Would they take me seriously? Would, what, da, da, da. I was also insecure. But I discovered this, that my security was found in my role and not in God. And it was the hardest, bestest lesson I've ever learned. My security is still, it's still a battle, don't get me wrong, I haven't cured it. But I'm getting to the place, getting better and getting to the place where my security is not in this. This is the overflow of my relationship with Jesus. This is the overflow of that relationship, but my security is in Him. And I'm learning, church, not to follow a career path, but His path. Amen? I'm learning... I put in my notes, I learned a new kind of godliness, but that's not true. I'm learning a new kind of godliness for my life. We are never more than a work in progress. In verse 6, it says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Anyone like maths? I didn't think so. Oh, you do? Okay. One person. I didn't think so. Paul is giving us a math lesson. He says this, if you want God's version of more, okay, in your life, right across all, every area in your life, what you'll need is godliness and then you'll need contentment. And he says this, godliness plus contentment equals more. G plus C equals G squared. Great gain. All right? And it's one of these upside-down principles of the kingdom of God. So what is godliness? You kind of think, you know, I thought I knew until I poked at it, okay? And the dictionary says this, and I give a little bit of a, of a fill-out, and it says, to be wise is to live in godliness. And then it said this in the dictionary, reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life. Isn't that wonderful? Imagine living your life as a reflection because if you're reflecting, it means it's coming onto you. Amen? And so if you're reflecting the nature of the kingdom of God in the course of everyday life, well, it says to me, if you reflect the nature, you must know the king. And it bounces off you into the world. That's what it means. In Greek, it means to be devoted. So let me squeeze these two things together. And godliness is this. It is living a life devoted to Jesus that reveals his nature every day. Isn't that lovely? And that's what godliness is. And so if I'm going to be able to do that, to live my life devoted to Jesus, then I need to steward my priority. 
I need to steward my priorities. And Jesus himself helps us stay with me. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, Jesus says this. It might be Matthew 6. Did I get that right? I think it's maybe 6. Anyway, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus says this, okay. Now, what are all the things that Jesus is talking about? Well, he tells us in verse 25. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or about what you will wear. These are these things. And I've got to be honest, this is two odd thousand years ago, and it is exactly the same as it is today. What will we eat? What am I going to wear? What about my body? How about my health? Am I taking my pulse? What am I doing? We're all worried. We're panicking. We're freaking out. Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, your body or what you will were. These are a bunch of worries. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, when you prioritize my kingdom, when you seek first the rule and the reign of my Father in your life, the things you are chasing turn around and they chase you. Isn't that incredible? And all these things will be added to you as well. They will be thrown into the pot. Brian, I want to believe that, but how can I believe that? How can I get my hands off my stuff and trust the Lord? Look at verses 26 to 32. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then this fundamental question, we've got to know the truth to. Jesus says, are you not more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, Jesus tells you, God the Son tells you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the fields that are here today and gone tomorrow, And thrown into the fire, he says, will he not much more clothe you? Mm, You of little faith. So this is God the Son. God the Son. Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And I love the last line. For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And that is how you can trust the Lord. That is how you can let go of the need of stuff. That's how you can prioritize putting God first in your life. Because the things that you're currently clutching, your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Paul echoes his word. I'm nearly finished, everyone. Paul echoes Jesus' words in his encouragement to Timothy. Verse 11, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness. Prioritize the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, faith, love, endurance. And then he goes on and tells Paul why, or tells Timothy, why God can be trusted. Verse 15, look, God is the blessed and only ruler. He is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. So we have on the spectrum of the nature of God. On one end, we have Jesus reminding us and the disciples that we have a Father who sees us and knows what we need and who's committed to providing it for us. And over here, we have Paul reminding us that 
God, Yahweh, Father, is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. Do you see the spectrum of the nature of God? Righteous judge, loving shepherd, heavenly Father, provider of all, healer, captain of the Lord's army, with all of these natures of who God is. And my encouragement to you, my challenge is, will he do? Is God enough? Is he big enough to trust in your life? Can we let go of financially propping up our identity and our security and trust God for who he is so we can live in godliness, reflecting the nature of Jesus every single day? I believe we can. And I want to invite the worship team right up with me for a second. And my third point is a point of response. So guys, if you want to come back up, for it, that'd be great. Everyone, why don't we all just stand? Let me just stand. Let's stand. The third thing, as we close, sorry, Raul, can I have that big case back? Is that okay? Sorry, I should have said it. Okay. You're all good. You're all good. The final thing is this, everyone. As we close, and guys, get you on there and start to play and do all your bits. Work away. So we're going to steward our personhood and we're going to steward our priorities. And the final thing, really briefly, is we're going to steward our peace. We're going to steward our peace. Alan, come here a second, would you? Would you go there and stand like that? Like that. Give Alan a round of applause. Somebody put a timer in his arm. It's holding out there. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Come on, who needs to hear that today? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Come on, somebody. Some of you came to church just for that verse. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 says this, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Church, these verses are connected, although first look, it doesn't look like it. Lean in with me here. In, in, in the, the, the verse in Hebrews, the word content is incredible what it means. It's unreal. I couldn't believe it when I discovered it. Here's what it means, everybody. It means to raise a barrier it means to lift an anchor and it means to sail away. And the idea is this, that here we are stuck and we're learning today to try and reprioritize our personhood and our priorities. And Paul said to Timothy, what I want you to do is to take hold of the eternal life what am I going to do? I've got one hand on the Lord and his nature and all his goodness and I believe in the Lord and I, I kind of, but I'm still stuck. I'm stuck. I'm anchored to this. Paul says today what you want to do is take hold, take a full hold. Now we're not open arm church. We're open arms church. So we're going to use both arms. And I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to let go of that. 
trust here. Because when you do, listen to me here, when you do, the Bible says the barrier lifts, the anchor's raised, and we sail away because contentment floods our soul. That's why godliness, that's why godliness and contentment is great gain. It's a great gain. It's a game changer.